You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little... Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Free kick for Atleti. Good opportunity to give a shout to... A blog, a, a US fan club of Atletico Madrid called Into the Calderon. Just some really good content for all followers of the Colchoneros. A decent base in the United States as well, following the action on ESPN+. Give them a follow at Into the Calderon. of Colchonero Chat. I'm Jeremy Barron of Into the Calderon, joined by another first-time guest on this uh, Tuesday evening show, Sam Leverage, whose work can be found at Marca and English, our frenemies at Managing Madrid, but also on our site, Into the Calderon. Hello, Sam. Hi, Jeremy. Good to be here. I'm you know, representing the good guys, not the, the dark side of the, the frenemies, as you call them. That's right. So, yeah, good to be here. We are, we are the side of light and goodness and everything right with the world. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, Sam, I'm surprised it's taken us this long to do this, but this is your first time on the program, and we have a, a bunch of stuff to talk about today. We will be discussing in some detail uh, the Barca game at the weekend, Atleti's 1-0 home loss to Barcelona at the Metropolitano, which you attended. So we're going to have a, a nice chat about that. But before we, we dive into Barca and uh, next weekend's uh, game at Almeria, 
we have to talk about uh, the, the big story that uh, broke yesterday, has carried uh, through into today. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Joao Felix, who seems set to join Chelsea on a dry loan to the end of the season. Ooh, Sam, a uh, couple directions we can go in with this. Where do you want to start? Well, what's your reaction to the, the news that Joao is going to go join Chelsea? Where, where do you start? I mean, there's so many different angles. There's so many different conversations about this whole move. I mean, mm-hmm. one, is it the right move to let him go? Two, is it the right deal? Three, is it the right place for him to kick on with his career? Four, what does it mean long term? Is he coming back? Is he not? I mean, just so much talk and, and controversy and everybody seems to have such strong opinions. And all about a player who has played 90 minutes once this season, who I don't think has been in the three best players of Atletico for more than a five, ten game spell at any point since he joined the club. And I mean, his performances on the pitch have been a bit meh. I mean, he's had his good moments, I'm not arguing that. I think he's a good player, but he's not Atletico's best player. This isn't a travesty that he's being allowed to leave the club. So all this conversation because of the whole circus that surrounds Jao Felix because he was the 126 million euro 19 year old that Alisco signed to replace Antoine Griezmann but I mean I think it says it all that he was signed to replace Antoine Griezmann and now here he is heading out to Chelsea on loan and he is being replaced by Antoine Griezmann yeah, exactly so I think that kind of says it all about his spell at Atleti yeah, and I I hadn't realized, but I think you're right. Um, I hadn't realized he played only 90 minutes once this season. Jeez, but yeah, I, I, that's that's true um, because he had that string of appearances off the bench. A couple of games in that period, October, November, he didn't play at all. Uh, I, I think it's a, a sad end to a, a pretty sad saga overall. Um, the deal itself, a dry loan, no option or obligation to buy. Chelsea are covering his wages. Reports have said Atletico are going to accept uh, a package that in total around 16, 17 million euro. That includes an 11 million euro loan fee and Chelsea will be covering his gross wages of around 6 million euro. Uh, is it the right deal to let him go without an option or obligation attached to his name? Well, I think the only people who really know the answer to that are the people in the powers that be at Atletico Madrid. I mean, there's so many different interpretations. I mean, one angle that is important to remember as well is the talk that his contract will be extended for another two years when he does get out on loan. Mm. And that obviously has sparked lots of speculation about what that means. Does that mean that Diego Simeone is leaving at the end of the season and the next coach wants Jao Felix to be an important part of his system? I'd be surprised if that's the case. I think it's more to do with the La Liga financial fair play and the amortisation which the longer his contract is, the more spread out his transfer fee will be. I think it's more to do with that. I think it's a risk from Atletico and Jao Felix, everything seems to be a risk. But I mean, you know, if he goes to Chelsea and doesn't really settle, doesn't stand out, then you're not going to have Arsenal, Manchester United coming after him in the summer. And if that's the case, then his transfer value plummets even more. So then you're thinking, why didn't you put in the option to buy, the obligation to buy in that loan deal with Chelsea? Whereas on the other hand, he could go and have a great time at Chelsea, revive them, push them up the table, and suddenly his transfer value is back where Atletico would like it to be, and there will be clubs who are offering 100 and 120 million euros for it. So it's a gamble, I think. It's a gamble that perhaps I would have been reluctant to take, but at the same time, when we look at the very short-term nature of this deal, is this deal a good deal? 
11 million euros to lose a player who hasn't been a regular starter for your team for six months and to have his wages paid in full, I think financially it makes it makes sense for Atletico. Yeah, it's hard to say who really gets the, the best part of this deal, right? Uh, he's not exactly the player that Chelsea need. Uh, Chelsea are currently 10th in the Premier League. They are really struggling for form and fitness under Graham Potter, the new coach, uh, spearheading this new project under new ownership. And Joao isn't really the kind of profile that they they probably need. If, if they were looking for an out-and-out goal scorer to lead their line, uh, that's really not Joao's game. But what what is Joao's best role? I mean, I was thinking about this over the weekend um, while writing about it and, and, and watching and, and reading more about this game is that we don't really know what his best position is. He's been in Madrid for three and a half years, Sam. Like, Simeone has tried to play him as a seven. That hasn't worked. He's tried to play him as a nine. It hasn't worked. He's tried to play him as a ten. It doesn't work. Um, so I, I wonder what Chelsea are really hoping to get out of this because we, you and I have been watching this guy for three and a half years and we just haven't seen it as you said for more than five or ten games at a time he's not big enough or strong enough to be to be a center forward uh, the there isn't really a, a place for a number 10 in the modern game anymore you need your playmakers to be a lot more dynamic and versatile he doesn't have the the pace to be a seven to be a winger and he doesn't have the positional awareness to be a number eight Exactly. I mean, that's basically everywhere, right? I mean, yeah. I just stole, stole your thunder. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's been so strange about this whole thing is that we've heard a lot about how his relationship with Diego Simeone is completely broken and terrible and they can't stand each other. But, I mean, if I was Joao Felix, I think Joao Felix, how he best stands out, how he best shines is when a whole team revolves around him. And Atletico, he was never going to have that. I don't think he's had that at any point. Because Atletico aren't that kind of club, that kind of team. Diego Simeone doesn't set up a system around one player. It's very much about the team and the collective. Mm-hmm. I think Joao Felix shines when it's like he was at Benfica, where they saw this great talent and thought, let's all work around Joao Felix, let's play to his strengths. He doesn't need to do the defensive duties quite as much. We'll cover him and we'll let him kind of dictate it. And obviously, if you head out on a six-month loan anywhere with no obligation to buy, no team in the world is going to do that for you. Unless he goes to... You know, a West Ham or a Fulham and kind of a mid-table, bottom-half Premier League club that would be willing to take that gamble. But, I mean, a Chelsea, a team like Chelsea is never going to do that. And so, for him, you wonder, is it misplaced belief in his own abilities? Is it belief in his own abilities? Maybe he's going to show prove us all wrong. I mean, I think the system that Chelsea use is bizarrely similar to Atletico in some ways that it's hard to see what he's thinking that is going to spark this huge change, that everything's going to be completely different in London and that he's suddenly going to show what he's capable of. It's it's a strange one. It reminds me a little bit of Saul when he moved on loan to Chelsea and you're thinking, wait, but why is Saul going to Chelsea when they've got four or five brilliant central midfielders? He's going to end up doing the same thing, playing left wing back or whatever it is for them. And that's exactly what happened. He came back and came back to Atletico, kind of having assumed reality and yeah, okay. I sit on the bench. I'll play wherever you tell me to play, Diego Simeone, and and I'm struggling to imagine Joao Felix having that same reaction. So it's going to be an interesting few months, but it's really kind of a real test for me at the moment to imagine how this all works out and and ends up being a win-win for everyone. I think it could be a, a struggle. 
Yeah, they already have guys like him, like Kai Havertz, Raheem Sterling, Hakim Ziyech, Christian Pulisic. Like, Chelsea, like and like the Saul deal last year, you had, you know, Kovacic, Jorginho, and Golo Kante in that midfield. So, naturally, Saul was, he comes in, he's already fourth choice. Joao Felix goes to Chelsea, he, he's not necessarily guaranteed a starting place right away. Or, or maybe he is. It's a six-month loan. You want to maximize it. So, maybe he does just go right into that team that does need goal scoring, does need to find form very quickly to qualify for Europe next year, let, you know, let alone the Champions League. Um, it, it really is a strange one, and it's befitting the player that he is. It's befitting the transfer itself from Benfica. You know, here's Atletico spending 126 million euro on one player. They never, ever done that before. Could never even dream of that for the, for you know the longest time since the football's economy exploded in the, in the early 2000s. But yeah, you, earlier you mentioned that they're, they're going to extend his contract by a year, and I agree. I do think that is more to do with financial regulations and staying in line with the the very strict uh, financial requirements La Liga puts in place for its clubs. Atletico have done this multiple times just since the summer, talking with players about extending their contracts by an additional couple of years. It gives the player more long-term security, and Atletico save more money in the short term. Of course, uh standard for this board sam is that they're just kicking the can further down the road in another three or four years time when they might have by that point sold the club so it's not very good medium to long-term planning but we're used to that from atletico yeah i mean we've seen it before we've seen it with several players i mean thomas lamar was one of them in the summer that reportedly took that pay cut basically spreading out one or two years wages over four years yep to kind of help out financially and I think that's definitely the approach here. And, and I mean, it is interesting. It's also interesting seeing the names that are being linked with all the talk, obviously, then turns to, okay, if you lose Jao Felix, who are you going to bring in? Because we've lost Mateus Cunha, we've lost Jao Felix. I mean, are we just going to stay with, with three strikers, with Marata, Griezmann and Nanjel Borreo? Or what's the plan there? And I mean, some of the names that have come up, obviously, have been pretty depressing to look at in the list. <laughs> well, it, it is funny that you mentioned that that list, Sam, because we did have some reporting on that this morning uh, with respect to a potential Joao Felix replacement. Atletico elected not to sign a direct replacement for Mateus Cunha, which I understood to a degree. They shouldn't have been carrying five forwards last year, and they shouldn't have been carrying five forwards this year. It's too many. It unbalances the squad. It was the big reason why Simeone elected to convert Antoine Griezmann into a number eight, into an interior midfielder. Uh, but Memphis Depay seems to be the top choice for Atletico Sam. Uh, apparently, the two clubs are already in discussions about about Memphis. Uh, an initial loan, which is a bit weird because his contract is up over the summer. So I, I guess Barca would extend his contract to send him on loan and then work to sell him to Atletico. Um, some of the other names include Lucas Boye from Elche, Jimmy Avila from Osasuna, Andre Silva from Leipzig. Vitinha from Braga, and of course, Borja Iglesias from Real Betis. Uh, would Memphis be an ideal replacement for Joao? I mean, are any of those players an ideal replacement? I mean, yeah. The thing is that none of them are really a, none of them are a replacement for Joao Felix, are they? I mean, I guess that kind of links into what we were saying, that Joao Felix doesn't really have a position. I mean, yeah. you're not replacing Joao Felix with a like-for-like. But equally, I mean, you look at those list of names and none of them get you excited as an Atleti fan do they I mean they're all a bit like oh great yeah he's, he's been good for Elche he's been good for Osasuna but that's not kind of the level that as an Atleti fan you want 
your club to be looking at. I think right. it's a bit kind of going back a few years almost to another era of Atletico Madrid, which, I mean, who knows, maybe that's the way that Atletico should go. I mean, how many of the big money signings have Atletico made that that haven't worked? I mean, maybe it is worth having kind of some of these lower lower stakes signings that, that could be a better option. And with Memphis, I think with Barcelona last season, he was pretty good when he had the chance. This season, obviously, hasn't had much of a look in. But I mean, again, I think you have to wonder kind of how does he fit into this team? What is the planning? I mean, Griezmann, Malata, Memphis, they're three pretty different forwards. I mean, how do you rotate those? Are you using them for different scenarios? I mean, it all just seems a little bit like there's not too much forward planning or thought going into it. And I think from what we can tell from that list of players who, who have been linked is that it does seem to be that we want more of a strong target man, number nine, a bit like Aldo Morata could be at times that kind of player. But then, I mean, do any of those players fulfil that role and and are any of those players clubs going to allow them to leave? I mean, Borja Iglesias, for example, at Betis, I mean, I think he's a little bit old to be trying to, to make that move now. But for Betis, this is a season when they could break into the top four in direct competition with Atleti. Why would they sell their star striker? to yeah. Atletico for anything other than stupid money and then Elche fighting against relegation maybe they'll try and cash in before they get relegated at the end of the season but I mean be Atleti taking a, a forward off a team who are bottom of the league and a forward who hasn't particularly matched his performances of last season this year so I mean yeah I mean none of them are particularly exciting none of them you look at and think yeah that's why Atleti need and maybe Memphis is the best of of the bunch but Equally, he's, he's a player who's barely featured this season. You have to wonder as well, coming into the Atleti team halfway through the season, just how fit he would be, how much time he would need to get in, in shape. And and then when you're talking at the halfway point of the season, I mean, when is he going to be in his, the best shape to, to shine and bring something new to Atleti? So I think there's a lot of question marks that come up now. I think Atleti do need another forward, but none of the names that have been linked particularly excite me although I couldn't equally I couldn't tell you who would excite me I mean Atleti's finances are limited yeah and we have to face up to that reality and and these players maybe this is just the, the reality of where we are a team who aren't in the knockout rounds of, of European football who are facing a big fight to qualify for the Champions League next season and and these are the players that maybe we would expect a Real Sociedad or a Real Betis to go after and and that's more where Atleti are at this point in time. I think that's pretty fair to say. I think that's pretty fair analysis of, and the, the financial hole, uh, in so much as it is a hole, it's grown because of the European eliminations and the still recovering from the revenue hit from the pandemic. And yeah, it's, it's these these are among, among the reasons why Atletico are looking at quote unquote low cost options uh, such as Memphis, who probably is the best of this bunch. I mean, Memphis has a pretty good track record. I mean, other than Man United, this is a guy who uh, was a star, absolute star at Lyon, has you know, huge international experience with the Netherlands. Uh, still could be considered in his prime at twenty eight, going on twenty nine this year. Um, but something else I noticed, Sam, is that these are all older forwards in their mid to late 20s, still in their prime or kind of emerging from their prime. Uh, Borja Iglesias, I think, would probably be among the worst options to sign from that list. 
given he's 29 going on 30, given Bettis would ask a boatload for him, at least 40 million euro, and you factor in what the player's contract would be, and that's a 60 million euro package for Borja Iglesias. That is ridiculous, and Atletico should not do it. Um, Memphis, as kind of this low-cost, cheap option, makes sense. Of course, as we know, Sam, Atletico do have quite a good track record of taking Barca's out of, out of favor forwards and making them a key part of the team. See David Villa, see Luis Suarez. Uh, maybe we can repeat the trick for a third time with Memphis. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. And maybe these players are a little bit more that Raul Garcia as a young look forward. And I think there is something in that, that when you bring a talented teenager like Jao, maybe they bring with it um, an ego or a personality that they're a star or whatever that may be. And with these kind of signings, you're bringing a player who knows this is probably their one shot to play at this level. They're going to give their all, and, and maybe that feeds in more to the, the cholisma of the, the collective and, and the hard work. I think there's one moment in the game against Barcelona where it's when there was a change in attack, and, and Antoine Griezmann kind of pointed to Jao to drop into the kind of the wing back role when Carrasco was coming off, and Jao Felix just kind of looked at him and shaked his head, and then it was Griezmann who went over to the left. And it's just like, I mean, I was struggling to imagine a player like Jimmy Avila or Lucas Boyer doing that same thing. Maybe that's what this is from Atletico. Maybe actually what this whole scenario could teach us is that Atletico are going to stick with Diego Simeone. They are going to invest their faith in that system and they want to make a signing who will fit more into that kind of model. And looking back over the years, I think these players do kind of match that more, like Kevin Gamero, that... Um, Mario Mandzukic, kind of that kind of model of forward who could come in and and match with with Atleti and with what Diego Simeone is looking for. Um, yeah, it's, I, I saw a list last night of Atletico's ten most expensive signings, and it's amazing that ninety percent of them just did not work or, or even failed miserably. Like Radamel Falcao is the only one on this list, Sam, who really was a success, and he was only here for two years. Right? You have Joao Felix, Tomole Ma. Diego Costa the second time, Vitolo, who was probably the most ruinous signing in the club's history, Rodrigo de Paul, who was on his way to becoming one of the most ruinous signings in the club's history, Morata, Jackson Martinez, oh God, uh, Gamero, who I was a fan of, but just didn't quite happen for him. He wasn't Simeone's first choice. We all knew that. And then you end with Mateus Cunha. And these are all signings worth 30 million euro or more. And all of them, almost all of them, uh, during the Simeone era. Uh, it's really wild how spending more money does not necessarily guarantee success. And, and where Atletico have had the most success under Simeone is with the, these kind of bargain bin signings, right? These players who have something to prove, a chip on their shoulders, it's us against the world. That's where Simeone is in his element, right? That's where his man management skills really take over and really become prominent is when he he challenges these players and makes them prove themselves. Uh, see the league, win the league winning season in 2014, which we have not seen an accomplishment like that since. Um. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. 
Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Even the league, the league title a couple of years ago was in a, a very different league, a very different uh, Atletico, a very different Madrid, a very different Barcelona from, from what there was in 2013-14. Um, you mentioned earlier the possibility that the contract extension for Joao uh, is being interpreted as Simeone basically saying, yeah, I'm out at the end of the season. Do you think that's a possibility? Is it a, a remote? Is it likely? No, I think it seems pretty remote. I think with Diego Simeone, I think one day obviously he will leave, but I'm not sure that now is that time. I think that I don't know. Maybe it's the emotions taking over and the heart speaking more than head. But I like to imagine that Diego Simeone will, when he leaves Atletico, it will be more on a high than kind of this Arsene Wenger style, being at the club too long and it's all gone wrong and everybody wants him out. I think that now perhaps we're seeing criticism of Diego Simeone from 50% maybe of the fan base for the first time, but that's because he's been in charge for, for 11 years now and and up to now there's never been much of a reason to criticise him beyond the odd result or the odd couple of games. This is the first time over a prolonged period, so maybe Diego Simeone is not getting it right, but I think he will still don't see him with any desire to leave in particular. I mean, obviously, he's well paid enough and I think he wants to go to Italy, perhaps. Maybe the timing isn't quite right for that. And also because for the board, he's a very useful figure to have. I mean, we all know that this board isn't the most popular board in the, the history of world football, to put it that way. Mm-hmm. And Diego Simeone is kind of a figurehead and a, a shield for them who will take the criticism for them. It's useful to have Diego Simeone there because people will blame him. If Diego Simeone leaves and they hire a new coach, they will ultimately be responsible for whatever that new coach does. If he doesn't work out and he's sacked six months later, that is Enrique Cerezo and Miguel Angel Marines' fault, not Diego Simeone's fault, not the coach's fault. Yep. And so I think they're quite happy for the focus to stay on Diego Simeone. I don't think they'll force him out. I don't think Diego Simeone is desperate to leave either. So... I think it's almost a little bit of a stalemate and you just have to hope that it can get back to being good again, which I believe that it will. I think Diego Simeone is a very talented coach who can do that. I just think that maybe in a way almost missing out on the top four would help Atletico to to kind of start from scratch and say, okay, we need to completely revamp the squad and bring in players who will work for a Diego Simeone team. Maybe that is what's needed because I think over the last couple of years we've seen Diego Simeone kind of lose that that ethos. It hasn't looked like a Diego Simeone team. It doesn't match his philosophy, his his way of looking at football. And so maybe that's what Aletio kind of need. It could be a blessing in disguise, even if it would mean financial disaster for the club in the very short term. Yeah, the last eighteen months have been tough for everyone. Uh, certainly Simeone, um, who you know, who like us, he he feels this club on a man, on a molecular level. Um, and he does have a contract for another year, uh, and he, he won't be sacked. His 
stature and his position at the club uh, is such that he will leave whenever he wants. And really, he's the type of animal, Sam, that if they miss out on Champions League, which is a distinct possibility this year, uh, he probably will extend his contract because the criticism for the board will be very sharp if they... It, it already is. It has been for years because this board is... This this club has not run well. Hasn't been in a long, long time. It predates Simeone and will probably live on after he leaves. Um, but you know, Simeone is the is the type who relishes a fairy tale situation, like you said. I can imagine Diego Simeone saying, "Look, we missed out on the top four because of that's my responsibility." He's never held back in that mm-hmm. and saying, "Look, I will extend my contract. I'll take a pay cut to reflect the, the financial reality and and kind of show his commitment once more to the club," which. Would be very dangerous to me. That's my fairy tale way of envisaging that nightmare scenario. <laughs> you know, and I, I think there's a decent chance that that, that happens. Alternatively, uh, he has never been under this much pressure as Atletico boss, and maybe it is weighing on him. Don't know. We'll have to wait until the end of the season. And whether Atletico are in the top four at season's end is very much up for debate and is up for uh, discussion as we turn our attention to the Barca game on Sunday. Sam, you were at this game. You were in the South Stand. Talk to me about what you saw and what you feel, having had a couple of days to reflect on it. I mean, it was, it was such a weird game. I mean, I feel like Atletico with the better team over the 90 minutes. I feel like if you don't see the goal, you just see kind of the, the stats or you just see some of the clips of the highlights and somebody says, which team won 1-0? One, You'd say, all right, that's Atletico. But, but Barcelona, just to that 15, 20-minute spell where they were the better team, and then Atleti were all over them, but it's the same problem we've seen so many times with Atleti, where Atleti have plenty of the domination, the chances, and just couldn't find a way through. I mean, the Barcelona defensive performance was very good. It was almost akin to Diego Simeone teams of years gone by, or grinding out a result by just having a good 15, 20-minute spell and then sitting back and defending for the rest of it. But I think for Atleti, it was, it was good. I mean, it's hard to take too much criticism from that game I think there were a lot of individual mistakes I think the first time ever as the biggest Reynildo fan in the world I can say that Reynildo had a bad game Mm. and just too many kind of slip ups and misplaced passes in the defensive third that was what eventually ended up costing Atleti and I think it's hard to put too much criticism on the midfield or the attack because I think against most teams other than this Barcelona team or Real Madrid or a very strong European team Atleti would get something from this game and I mean you know if the if fate was slightly different that Antoine Griezmann chance in injury time which another alcohol cleared off the line I was out of my seat in another reality that's just about crossed over the line oh. and we're here talking about how Atleti have taken a very solid home draw against league leaders Barcelona so slim margins but I mean yeah, it's a, it's a weird game to analyze and to try and take something from. Jan Oblak said after the game, we did everything but score. And he was right. The After the opening 20 minutes, which we'll talk about in, in just a sec, uh, Atletico were vastly superior, I think, to Barca. Xavi, uh, it, it's really, it still kind of surprises me, even though Xavi has been back for you know a year and a half now. It surprises me a little bit at just how defensive he can be and how pragmatic his Barca side has been over the past season plus, almost two seasons. Um, he made several defensive substitutions after the hour. 
Barca were burrowing for a large portion of this game. Atleti had them under serious pressure in the second half. I mean, I can count on one hand the number of times in, in meetings with Barca over the years under Simeone, how many times we have been superior to them. And Atletico were definitely superior to Barca on Sunday. But uh, you wrote in your three things, Sam, about Atletico's defense, how Atletico are like a house. The problem is that while they've taken care to, to decorate the living room, tool up the kitchen, even put in a nice guest room, the foundations are built on ice cream. And you mentioned these defensive foundations a moment ago. Reynildo had a rough game on Sunday. Uh, Stefan Savage got sent off in the 92nd minute. Jose Jimenez had, I thought, a terrible game. A lot of nerves, a lot of jitters. He, too, is facing a very long suspension, courtesy of FIFA, for his actions at the World Cup. Um, so what did you make of those first 20, 25 minutes where Atletico sat back and, and burrowed and, and tried to hit Barca on the counter, and it really didn't work? What did you make of the approach to start the game? I think it was just a bit of a disaster. I think the first five minutes or so, Barcelona were a little bit nervy, a little bit cautious as well, and so you didn't see too much of it. But then Atletico just, I mean... It was almost Atletico of a few years ago where they would rely on defensive foundations, defensive solidity. But with this defence, they just don't have it. I mean, you can't rely on that back three to string together five passes and and resist the press and then play it out the midfield or go long. And I think that was a big part of the problem, particularly against Barcelona in that first 20 minutes or so, was that Barcelona would then press and Atleti would look to go long, but there was no target man in the in the attack. I mean, the Jao Felix wasn't going to be winning headers up against Raul Arrapo. Um Antoine Griezmann wasn't going to be doing it against Andreas Christensen. And so there was no outlet for Atleti to aim for, and without that, I think that made the defence even more nervous. There were more misplaced passes. And I think it's a defence which is completely shot for confidence. I mean, Jan Oblak's interview after the game was very strange and almost tough viewing in a way because when you think he said I'm so sorry at one point yeah like this is a little bit strange he said it like I think it's a mental problem I can't explain it if I could we wouldn't be doing it anymore and you just think it's in the head of these players that that there is that kind of uncertainty insecurity that I think has almost been a little bit of an issue that has been hanging around a little bit um basically ever since Diego Godin left and I don't think we've had that leader in defence. I mean, you can look at Stefan Savage as the older veteran in defence, but I mean, a leader in defence isn't wrestling on the halfway line going into injury time. Osema Jimenez has been around for a very long time, but I think he's another player who loses his head when he gets too angry. I mean, which is exactly why he's facing that suspension from yep. the World Cup. Yep. And Ronaldo has been at the club for around a year and I don't think he's that kind of character. And let's go desperately need that kind of leader particularly in defence just to calm things down and and bring things together and I think that's what was so desperately missing against Barcelona ignoring the fact there was no outlet or target man to aim for but the fact that there was somebody to come calm those nerves I think was just too jittery and and too prone to mistakes and, and then you look at the bench and you see Mario Hermoso and Felipe and you remember that things could be even worse <laughs> yes yeah, I mean, Hermoso was ineligible for, for Sunday's game, although maybe that is a, a blessing in disguise. Uh, but Hermoso should be back for the Almeria game on Sunday. Uh, Savage won't be there after, as you mentioned, he got into a, a bit of a scrap with Ferran Torres around the halfway line in stoppage time. 
just kind of inexplicable how that happened. Fun for you, you know, like just you know, independent of anything else in a vacuum, it was fun to watch, but it really hurts Atletico. Um, it, it seems like a group of players at the back, Sam, that are just terrified of conceding because they know if they if they give up one goal, Atletico are probably not going to win given how wasteful they have been in attack for a large portion of this season. Um, Nahuel Molina had a pretty good game, though, on Sunday, and that has to be encouraging. Uh, Molina has come in for a lot of criticism in his first few months at Atletico, uh, but you wrote in, in your Three Things piece as well, Sam, that uh, this was one of his best performances yet. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I thought so. I think that the system has put up with a lot of focus put on, on his side of the pitch with Marco Llorente. And I mean, we just can talk about Noel Molina, but for me, one of the best players over the last few weeks since the World Cup has been Marco Llorente. Yeah. I think he's possibly even over a period of a couple of games, the best I've seen him since that league-winning season. I think he dropped off and now I think this is... It's more like the Marco Llorente that everybody fell in love with. And he was kind of tracking back, which helped Molina out defensively because he was no longer that exposed in the wing-back role. I think with, with Noel Molina, there was a great um, phrase that some Spanish guys I was talking to about it after the game. And when I said, I thought he was excellent. There's just one problem with him. And that is that his right foot is like a brick. <laughs> and he just cut his deliveries aren't great but if he could cross a little bit better if he had a Kieran Trippier crossing ability he would be a world beating right back and he's a World Cup winner he looked a little bit more confident a little bit more assured and also linking back to what we were just talking about you wonder about maybe is it part of it playing in front of the Atleti fans playing at the Metropolitana that doesn't help these players who maybe are struggling with the pressure of the nerves and I feel like that was part of Molina's issue early on in the season was that I mean obviously his, his home debut was that game against Rio Real where he got sent off doesn't exactly indeed use the fans to be sent off in a home defeat in your first game but he's never really settled entirely and I think in this game he looked a little bit more at home a little bit more confident and I think you saw that in that he would bomb on down the flanks a little bit more and try and put crosses in which we haven't seen so much of because he looked a little bit hesitant to do that in the past so hopefully this is a sign of brighter things to come and if him and Llorente can kind of build that link down the right flank I don't think it's similar in any way at all to the Llorente Trippier link but it's another one that does have promising signs and maybe could be the best solution to get the best out of both of those players Molina even had a couple sights of goal on Sunday this is a player who scored I think seven times for Udinese last year uh, so he, he's clearly got he's clearly got the attacking vision the final third vision his crossing is still not good enough i think he only completed two out of eight crosses on sunday and that's better than he we've been used to seeing from him but you know onward and upward and for molina especially who is really the only option the only viable option in this position because Llorente is not a natural right back or right wing back uh the club kind of just threw molina in there without a life vest and said good luck sink or swim um, after the trip of your sale and after Daniel Voss left at the end of the summer, basically Molina is it. So I, I think you're right. We do have to be patient with him. Uh, he is a World Cup winning right back, a starting right back for Argentina. He, he's clearly not a bum. He's clearly pretty talented. We just got to have patience with him and, and understand that, again, it's poor planning to just throw Molina in there and tell him to sink or swim um, and expect instant results. Like, I think that's just... I know some others may say that's realistic. We should expect these 
handsomely paid players to produce immediately, but it's just not always the case. And Molina is an example of, you know, let, let's just be patient and see what we've got here and not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, he's a 24-year-old guy who's obviously very young still in his career. I mean, he plays in Argentina, he's played in Italy, and now he's in Spain. I mean, this is a guy who does have a pretty impressive track record, but not all that experience. And he's in this new system. He hasn't always played as a wing-back like in this Atletico system. He does have more defensive duties, perhaps, here at Atleti than he, than he had at Udinese. But, I mean, he does have that attacking talent. I mean, that goal he scored for Argentina in the World Cup against the Netherlands, which was, I mean, better finishing, better movement than we've seen from Aleti strikers at some point this yeah, season. no kidding. I mean, he does have that potential. So, I mean, I wrote about him in the summer when he was linked to Atletico and so on. I feel like it's the right signing, but almost a little bit of the right signing, the wrong timing. That you think he could definitely come good, but you'd also like to have almost a Vesalico kind of figure, that little bit more assured, experienced player who knows exactly what that role requires of him to to take the flak in some of the more pressured games and allow Molina to kind of settle in. Unfortunately, the awful squad management means that Molina doesn't have that. He's thrown at the deep end and he's arrived and kind of been told, right, now well, Molina, you're going to be our starting right back, right wing back for 38 games this season. Get on with it. Yeah. Um, so I certainly don't envy him, but I think maybe this and, and the World Cup could give him a platform to to kickstart his, his season. Absolutely. Uh, you have attended more games at the Metropolitano this season than I have, Sam. What have you made of the atmosphere at home games this year? Uh, Atletico have already lost three times in the league at the Metropolitano, and that is really wild. Uh, Atletico are usually very, very strong at home, and they were not. They have not been this season. Losses to Virial, Real Madrid, and now Barcelona at the Metropolitano and uh, no home wins in, and only one home win in the group stage of the Champions League as well yeah I mean I'd, I'd be reluctant to use the word toxic which I know that some people have used around the atmosphere but I mean that was one of the things that surprised me against Barcelona is usually for these big games fans are very up for it kind of uh, let's get at them even if we don't necessarily have that much to play for let's get at them let's beat them let's beat the big boys Barcelona and so on and this time there just seemed to be a little bit of of resignation, especially when Barcelona scored that goal. It wasn't a come on, we'll get back into this. It was a, well, all right, again. Like, yeah. We've seen this before. I think it's a culmination of one, two years of seeing the same thing, of seeing the same mistakes, the same errors, the same issues with the squad and nothing being done about it. I think there is a disconnection, especially at the moment, between the squad and the fans and the the fans don't see the, themselves in these kinds of players. I mean, when you look back and mentioned him earlier on, Raul Garcia was is a fan favourite because fans love to see him because he's the kind of player who would give his all, put his body on the line. And as a fan in the stands, you could say, that would be me if I was on that pitch, not the most talented, but I'll give him my all. Mm-hmm. When that then contrasts to, you know, uh, a Yannick Velasco or Rodrigo de Paul who, who isn't prepared to do that kind of thing at all, then it's, it's more difficult and it's one thing that's come up today in, in the news with the, the talk of a potential referendum on the club quest and yes. I mean, this fan engagement committee, I can't remember the proper official name for it, is going to vote on whether a referendum should be held with, with the Sotheos and whether we should revert to the old quest or stay with the new one. And it just feels like as much as this is a very interesting debate, which we could talk about for hours and, and go into it, 
does almost feel a little bit like why why do they need to feel feel the need to divide the fan base even more at this point in time? I think there's already enough division, enough people saying Cholo out or backing Cholo to the death, enough people saying Jao Felix is the future and enough saying no, he's not good enough. We don't need another big topic to go onto the table and divide the fan base even more. And so it's all very strange timing and I just feel like at the moment fans going to the Metropolitana are a little bit going through the motions and and not expecting that much. I mean, Barcelona was always going to be a tough game. I think it'll be more interesting perhaps in the next few home games to see how the fans react. I mean, obviously the next two, I think, uh, lead and then Hetafe. I mean, Saturday afternoon, evening in January, <laughs> February against lead and Hetafe, you're not going to get the biggest crowds. It will be interesting to see how the fans in the stands react to those, especially if at any point in the game the result isn't quite going our way. I was going to ask you, actually, your thoughts on the this report uh, carried in Mundo Deportivo today about the meeting Wednesday uh, centered on potentially returning to the old shield. Uh, Atletico, for those of you who don't know, changed, uh, changed their logo God, six years ago, seven years ago. Uh, and the the current badge is not particularly popular with very large portions of the fan base. Um, all, I think more people have been accepting of it in recent years, but I, it's still pretty clearly a, a very unpopular look uh, with with some of the the older guard, the the hardcore socios and supporters. Should Atletico go back to the old badge, Sam? What do you think? In my personal take on it is. I mean, if I had to choose, you gave me both options. I'd say the old badge, I think it's, it reflects the club's history. I mean, there's so many elements of it that were removed. Stupid things like turning around the bear and the tree, which is like, why, why are you changing that? There's no need for that. It doesn't help anything. The colours and so on that I think are more linked to Atletico, to its history, to everything. But at the same time, you look at this and you say, look, Atletico changed the, the emblem, the badge, to build for the future, the move to the Metropolitano to be a more modern club and so on. What doesn't make any sense for me is for the club to open up this debate and say, look, we're happy to do either. I think if the club were going to go with a new crest, they should go with it, stick with it and say, we're not going to go back. But the fact that they're opening up this debate just seems a bit weird to me. If you're up to me, I'd choose the old badge. I think so many fans are in that same boat. I mean, Atletico recently opened up um, an area of the club store where it was selling kind of memorabilia and old shirts and yep. kits with with the old badge on and things sell out in no time when they put on the 75th anniversary um, kit last season it sold out I think within an hour there were queues outside the, the store and that's only been seen with that with that shirt with the old crest on it and so there's definitely the demand from the fans there I'm not sure if it will happen because of the politics in that fan committee some members who are going to be very against holding a referendum but I think if it does get put to a referendum of the Soviets I think we'll end up going back that way yep I agree and then for the club you have to think what, what does that mean how do they now envisage their future how do they I mean even just the expense of it I mean of changing logos everywhere at the Metropolitano and all of everything I mean that's an expensive process so I'm pretty surprised that the club are are doing that, wondering what they're trying to take attention off elsewhere by, by bringing this up. But I guess we'll see, right? I mean, yeah, it, I guess. Like the vote on, on Wednesday is a bit 50 50. 
I mean, there it's the the timing is very weird, uh, and it's it's another mess that the club doesn't really need to be making right now, but they seem intent on doing it anyway. I mean, and for for what it's worth, uh, when I was at the uh, the team store back in October when I was in Madrid. Um, I only bought stuff with the like the old logo on it. I had bought this mock-up of the Calderon, like this gold-colored mock-up of the Calderon that's like sitting on my kitchen table. So that kind of gives you an idea of where I am on this whole debate. Like I, I'm okay with the with the newer badge. It's fine. It's definitely uh, a more modern look, but there's no beating the old badge. Like that is that's Atletico's history right there, and you know it. it the change in, in the badge came at the same time as they left the Calderon for the Metropolitano. And it, that hit a nerve with a lot of people, some very raw emotions about, you know, uprooting the club from this historic home on the Manzanares and moving. Basically, there's nothing else up there other than the Metropolitano. There's nothing. It's just the stadium, uh, at least for the time being. It, that's all that's up there, up near the airport in what has historically been considered Real Madrid territory. So... Yeah, just just another potential mess, uh, marketing mess that the club is putting itself in. Um, you, I, I was going to talk about Yannick Carrasco, too, because you brought him up a few minutes ago. He's had a terrible season, Sam. One goal in 860 minutes. There have been rumors that Carrasco is on the, uh, the metaphorical exit ramp for January. What should Atletico do with, with Carrasco? And by extension... A lot of the older players that that are in this squad, Savage just turned 32 the other day. Koke just turned 31. Jan Oblak is 30. Griezmann is 31. Marata is 30. Kondogbia is about to turn 30. Carrasco is 29 and playing like he's in his mid-30s. What do Atletico do with Carrasco and some of these other older players? What can be done with them? Carrasco is just such a strange place, isn't he? I mean... Carrasco is a typical player that I think when he wants to, he can be the best player Atletico have by some distance. But when he doesn't want to, if he's not fully on it, not fully committed, he's just a, a waste of space, to put it that harshly. I mean, he just doesn't contribute anything at all. And I think this season he's not interested. There's lots of talk of broken promises regarding a contract renewal, which were followed by reports that he'd been offered a 25% pay rise and turned it down. I think Atleti, if they're looking to move players on this summer, Yannick Carrasco is one of the few players that you can move on and, and make money out of. I think he has that potential. I think you have to look to cash in there because he's not consistent enough to justify keeping him paying his wage. Some of the others you mentioned, I mean, Stefan Savage, I think probably struggled to find a team willing to buy him mm-hmm. at this point, given his recent injury record and disciplinary record. But perhaps now is also the time for him to move on. And then you're looking at players kind of the very spine of this Atleti team. Yeah, no black, Koke, Griezmann. I mean, that's the spine of the team. And, and that's a huge switch to get rid of so many of these players at once. I think obviously Koke will be at Atleti until he decides he doesn't want to be at Atleti anymore. I think he's still got some legs in him. But maybe now, particularly with the explosion of Pablo Barrios, we see him less regularly. We see him as a less important player. Griezmann is still showing that he's he's got it. And... So, uh, the peak of his powers almost getting back to that kind of form and Jan Black has kind of stabilised because he went from being the best goalkeeper in the world no question about it to being one of Spain's worst goalkeepers for a few months and now he's not quite back at the same heights but he's not as bad as he was either so right. 
all of these older players in particular, if there's a big offer from, from the Premier League from somewhere else, you wonder would it be the right time to move them on? But I think Griezmann and Kok are the only two who definitely won't be going anywhere because Diego Simeone loves Griezmann so much he wouldn't want to leave and Kok loves Atleti so much that he wouldn't want to leave. And all of the others, I wouldn't be shocked if they're playing somewhere else next season. But Bob Black, I would like to, to keep, but at the same time, to see why he might want to leave and, and not be part of a new era for Atletico Madrid, which is what's going to start this summer, is a new era, a new squad, a new a new approach. And and if the decision is that that's the perfect time for Bob Black to move on, for somebody else to come in, then then so be it because they probably won't be earning as much in wages as, as Jan Oblak is and that's the sad truth especially if there's no Champions League football and you you mentioned uh, Barrios as well uh, while, while you were answering that and he just continues to impress me uh, Sam this was the biggest stage yet for him against Barcelona he got the vote of confidence from El Cholo one of the biggest games of the year every year for Atletico and I think he had a few nerves early on, and Pedri just kind of dribbled right through him and through Koke to set up uh, the Dembélé goal midway through the first half. But he's he's got the look of a really solid young midfielder, Sam. Um, dribbling ability, good vision, good choice of pass, good touch on the ball. He's good, and he he's confident, and he provides energy, a spark, something to try to break Atletico out of this 18-month-long stagnation. Yeah, and Diego Simeone put his faith in him to give him that start. I mean, it's been a long time since Atletico have had a young player break into the team and establish themselves. I mean, last season we had Javi Serrano come in a couple of times, but I think he only got one start against Danala on a Thursday night with a 6 o'clock kickoff or something like that. So, very different to Pablo Barrios, who, I mean, has been thrown in to start against... Elche, okay, but then to start against Barcelona in this kind of profile game of a game and held his own, I don't think he... I think he probably will have felt a little bit critical of himself after that game, but he definitely held his own. He didn't look out of place. He didn't look like a 19-year-old making his, what, second start for the first team. Yeah. So I think you, you have to say, right, Diego Simeone really believes in him, and if Diego Simeone really believes in him like this... And we've seen these performances that we have seen in the Copa del Rey against lower tier sides, which is a little bit easier, but also against Elche, against Barcelona. And it will be interesting to see how he's brought into the fold with the first team in the next few months and and also who misses out as a consequence of that, because it could be Coque who is most kind of impacted by that arrival. And Rodrigo de Paul, I mean, we have a World Cup winner on the bench while 19-year-old Pablo Barrios is... Is starting, so I think the, there's a lot of expectation and pressure on him. I just hope too much of that pressure isn't put onto him, and too much of that expectation is put onto him. But I mean, he seems to be a pretty mentally tough guy, a mentally strong guy with belief in his own abilities to to have the bravery to go out and start against Barcelona and put in a performance like that. Yeah, you really don't want to risk burning him out, especially if he's got a shot to be the first prospect in since Thomas and Lucas, right, to really make it at Atletico, to become a first-team fixture and only 19 years old, you, you don't want to risk burning him out. But, you know, you, you can't argue that DePaul's been better than him, right? You can't argue that Koke on the balance of the season has been better than him. Um, he offers something new. He offers something different. And we'll see if he gets another start this weekend, Sam, against Almeria. This will be uh, Atletico's first meeting with Almeria since uh, February of 2015, 
uh, as the new boys just came up from Segunda. Uh, Atleti have not been good at home, as we talked about, but they have been quite good on their travels with five wins uh, from eight thus far in the league. How do we see this game going on Sunday against an Almeria side that lost uh, Umar Sadiq to Real Sociedad, but are still hanging around? Uh, they may end up staving off relegation. They currently sit 14th. Yeah, they're a team that are hard to beat. They're not easy to break down. And I um, mean, watched the game against Real Sociedad at, at the weekend as well, and it was very much that kind of sense of when Real Sociedad eventually broke through and got that, that first goal, the game changed completely, but they didn't do that until the second half. In that first half, it was very hard fought and very even. And the Real Sociedad are a very good team, higher up in the table than Atleti this season. And I think it will be an interesting game, and also because... We have, if we forget the Barcelona game, then Atletico have been pretty good. I mean, convincing win over Elche, convincing win over Oviedo um, since the World Cup. Yep. And then you look at the fixture list of the games coming up. I mean, Levante and the Copa del Rey is a potential banana skin, but imagine that we win that one into the quarterfinals. Valladolid at home, Osasuna away, Getafe at home, Celta Vigo away. I mean, that's five, six games coming up that are winnable for Atleti. If Atleti can build up some form now, that will change the season entirely. I mean, just so much depends on that. I mean, there's no big tests in those next six games. And then there are a couple of few tougher games. I mean, Athletic, Real Madrid, Sevilla, the next three after that. So you really need to pick up points in this stage of the season so that you're not relying on it when we come to, to May, June, when we have kind of, you know, those very tough few games at the end of the season. I think last year, Real Sofia and Villarreal you don't want to be depending on picking up points there. So I think this stage of the season could be crucial in deciding whether Atleti end the season in the top four or not. And that has to start at Almeria because not getting off to a good start there will, will inevitably have a knock-on effect against Levante, against Valladolid, against Osasuna, and not having that belief that Atleti are the better team and should be winning these games. And I think that's the statement Atleti need to make is we are at Atletico Madrid, we are one of Spain's biggest teams and even if Amari are tough to beat, we need to come and show you what we're capable of and I think Atletico need to get a little bit of that, that swagger, that confidence back. Yeah, because if they don't, they're not making the Champions League. If the season ended today, they wouldn't. They're five points behind La Real in third, a point behind Betis in fourth, level on points with Villarreal. Villarreal already have uh, the head-to-head advantage. Uh, just a point ahead of Athletic, three points ahead of Osasuna, four points ahead of Rao Vallecano. Uh, it's it's tight. Um, other than the first two, who are kind of in their own world at the top of the table, it's tight. You know, you have, what, uh, six teams, seven teams separated by nine points. Um, so Atletico have some ground to make up here. Um, and they don't meet La Real head-to-head until very late in the season. Uh, they already have at least for now, the head-to-head over Betis, the head-to-head over Athletic, which really could come in handy uh, in the latter stages of the campaign. So you're right, it does have to start this weekend um, against Almeria away. And then the Cup game next week, which uh, is is pretty clear at this point that the Cup is Atletico's only real shot at silverware this year. Simeone's taking it very seriously, naming very strong sides in in each game so far against lower-tier opposition. When was the last time that they won three Copa del Rey games in a single campaign. I was thinking about this like yesterday and I couldn't remember. Struggled to think of either. Yeah. <laughs> in the Copa del Rey in a season. I think I did 
look it up the other day. I'm going to have to try and see if I can find the, the yeah. stat. But yeah, it does feel like a long time since we had a cup run. I think it might even have been, was it 2014? Um, let me see if I can find it here in front of me now. The last time Atleti made it to the quarterfinals was 2018. Yep. 2017, 2018. So, I mean, yeah, that long, long ago, I mean, this would be, if they failed to do it this year, that would be five seasons in a row going out in the earlier stages. It's, it's not good for supposedly the third biggest team in the country. Yeah, that's right. And so, of course, we get drawn against Levante, of course. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I was talking to some people before the game and were saying, kind of before the draw, saying, I mean, who do, who do you want Atleti to draw? And everybody's saying, look, I'd rather draw Real Madrid-Barcelona than draw Levante away, <laughs> because we all know how that ends. And, of course, Levante away was, was the draw that came out. And, I mean, again, kind of talking about the confidence, the swagger, I mean, it's exactly what Aleti wouldn't really want, to go and play a team who are fighting for promotion at the right end of the table while they're faltering a little bit. So maybe it could be a tougher game than, than we think it would be on paper of first against second division. Yeah, spoken like true Atleti fans, fearing a draw against Levante more than Madrid or Barca. Exactly. It's not uh, as embarrassing to lose to Real Madrid as it would be to lose to Levante. That's very true. And and yet, Atletico uh, contrive ways to drop points against Levante uh, more often than not. But hopefully that does not happen in the cup game next week. And hopefully they don't drop points against Almeria either. That would, that would not be a, a very good look. But uh, at any rate, we're going to leave it there for the time being. Sam, anything else you would like to tell the listeners before we sign off? No, I think we just have to keep the faith with, with Diego Simeone and stick with uh, El Cholo. And the fans are pretty clear with that. And, and the, the Metropolitan on Sunday night with the chance for Diego Simeone. And, and no matter how badly things go wrong or, or don't go entirely according to plan, he is... The Atletico legend, we are watching Atletico Madrid history every single time that we watch Diego Simeone lead the team. So just have to believe in, in El Cholo, I guess. You can find Sam on Twitter at Sam Leverage. You can read his work on Into the Calderon, as well as other places um, mentioned at the start of the show. You can follow me on Twitter at JB Baron, Into the Calderon, at Into the Calderon. Keep up with our work there. Uh, Patreon subscribers at patreon.com slash chat. The Amigos get a special bonus programming from as little as $3 a month. We will be back at the weekend or early next week to discuss the Almeria game and preview Levante in the Copa del Rey. Uh, Until then, thanks again for listening. Adios.